I'm Kira Moore, founder of Female Leaders at 50. Welcome to my podcast series, Female Leadership at 50, The Silent Revolution, where we talk about the highs and lows of leadership and what it means to us. Join us as we stay curious, network and share. Hi, Tim. Hi, Kira. How are you doing? I'm really, really good. It's great to hear from you. Thanks so much for doing this. No, no worries. And so I guess, Tim, if you could introduce yourself and, um, and your background. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm Tim Glenn. I am the uh, Chief Finance Officer at Royal Patworth Hospital. I've been doing that role for just over a year now. I uh, thought it'd be a good time to join a respiratory hospital just as a global respiratory pandemic was kicking off. Uh, so it's kept me it's kept me out of trouble for a year. Prior to that, I worked at uh, Cambridge University Hospitals, uh, where I had the uh, the pleasure of working with Kira. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I guess um, Tim, why I thought of you as an ideal person for this podcast is having worked together and seeing how supportive you are um, of you know a, an NHS that, as we know, has you know seventy seven percent of its workforce is women. So you pretty much probably have to get on, <laughs> have to get on with it. But it was the the support in the background as well, which is really important. And in particular, I do remember um, heading up for a very difficult um, discussion into <laughs> London offices. And I feeling, wondered if that might come up. <laughs> and feeling rather, rather worried. And I remember you uh, looking at me and going, don't forget, you know more than them. So that was real. That was a real male ally moment. So it was great. But I guess Tim, probably where we should start with is like how how does someone become a male ally? What do, you know? How how does that work? Well, um, it's interesting because I, I think I said um, on the um, you know on the panel thing that we we'd done previously that I am. Um, the, the the term isn't something that immediately you know i would have i would have identified with my kind of take is um everyone on this planet have got their talents and their and their weaknesses and part of my role as a as a leader in an organization and i consider it everyone's role as a leader in the organization is to kind of develop that talent help people work on their weaknesses and and give them a boost up as they as they progress during their career and um I suppose part of that philosophy, um, I also think that, you know, in order to do that effectively, you've got to understand individual particular circumstances uh, and make adjustments for those circumstances. It's not as easy for, you know, I'll just use the classic examples for this point, but there's there's lots of different points. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not as easy for um, for women for good um you know documented reasons about the burden of childcare, etc those things to kind of allow, allow people to flourish and to, for, to allow people to um get the most out of them and so i think that's my philosophy rather than you know um which i which i think is male allyship but it's perhaps yeah. not it's not it's not coming from a place of i'm i'm going to deliberately be a male ally it's more yeah. about how we get the most out of people and how in order to get the most out of people you know it's absolutely right that we make adjustments for people you know background circumstances and yeah. uh, situations 
Yeah, we've certainly come a long way, haven't we? Because years ago, I, I know the the sixties, if you became pregnant, that was it, or if you <laughs> left your career. <laughs> um, and and then so while women had forged their way ahead with you know um, degrees and and all of that, they were still leaving. Uh, the workplace um, to do that but yeah so and it's kind of um, being human that's yeah. what you're describing yeah I think that's right and you but you touched on a bit about you know finding ways to support uh, you know yes women who may have um, you know be carers at home um, and um, I just was wondering what what does an ally, what can we do as an allies on a day-to-day -day basis as well? I, I mean, I have to say some women are also quite unforgiving of those who have childcare issues. Right, yeah. And absolutely... the other way, you can yeah, go the yeah. other way. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Some <laughs> of the most brutal people I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and um, so, but what can we do on a day-to-day -day basis, Tim, do you think, to improve well, I think there's, 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 there's various bits and bobs, aren't there? So um, I think um, sometimes it's about, you know, the classic examples of things like, you know, flexible hours, flexible working, et cetera. And, and by the way, um, some of this equally applies to uh, men who uh, yeah. you know, have childcare responsibilities like myself at the moment. I'm, uh, I'm working from home today because I've got to pick the kids up in there. Oh. So, you know, some of this is, uh, is just... Um, you know, recognizing that and recognizing that, you know, a nine to five job perhaps or, you know, doesn't fit in with those uh, responsibilities particularly well. And so, you know, how can you structure days? How can you structure working hours to to accommodate that? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I personally believe that you can you can easily do that. So, you know, very basic things like, you know, meetings just being flexible on meetings so that, you know, they take place between 10 and two or something like that. Um, and then, you know, being be respectfully um, allowing people to kind of head off, sort those bits and bobs out and then log back on in the evening. So long as they're, com you know, comfortable yeah. doing that, that's the kind of thing that very practically on a day to day basis you can do. Yeah. The other thing is just positively encourage. Um, so things like job sharing. So I can remember a conversation I had just before I left for CUH about a particularly high, you know, senior finance role. Yeah. And um, one candidate kind of came to me and just said, look, you can't do this job on three days a week. Yeah. Um, you know, and the discussion, you know, I had there was, we'll, we'll frame that in a different way, which is, well, what parts of the job could you do yeah. in three days a week? Uh, and what bits therefore couldn't you and is then there a different solution for those those other parts yeah and um, just being kind of open to those discussions and thinking those discussions through I think is is part part of it yeah um, I mean you can get onto other bits and bobs I think which are also related which are things to do with like interview processes and stuff like that because you know i relatively recently i've obviously obviously had an interview and <laughs> um you know turning up and seeing a, a white male panel yeah uh, gives one message uh turning up and the panel being diverse gives a different message Absolutely. um yeah. and i think that you know those little things about um recruitment processes 
flexibility with relation to jobs, open to discussion and flexibility. They're all the little things that, you know, make a real difference to people in terms of feeling that they can, um, feeling that they can take on new roles, take on new challenges and flourish in them whilst also, you know, doing the things we all want to do at home, which is, you know, be there for our kids, be, be able to still actively participate in their in their lives etc whilst whilst also getting on at work so yeah yeah I agree and uh, and I think also I mean um I I think as working women um who are also probably the core caregivers yeah um there's that women are constantly battling with and you know through the network we hear you know I'm guilty I feel guilty when I'm at work I feel guilty when I'm at home and um, so because I'm not working so, yeah. so they're caught between this um this kind of landmine of all this guilt and trying to care and um, and I think things are changing which is really good and I'm delighted that you're going to pick up a kiss as well because it's important <laughs> that men also get that opportunity to be at home and and um and be the caregivers I I know I have constantly said to my kids you do have two parents I am not the only <laughs> one who can do things around the house yeah. <laughs> much to the disgruntlement um but yeah it it's, is it's a partnership isn't it and it's funny you just triggered something there because um one of those things that just this was about six months ago um I had one of those meetings where I couldn't get off I could, it was five o'clock I was supposed to pick the kids up and I could I didn't feel I could leave the meeting Gosh. and um I texted my wife and said can you help out and she she, she sorted it out but then she had a really good uh, go at me in the yeah. evening <laughs> Which you made exactly the, the point you're making there, which is, yeah. do you know what kind of one of the main things you could do to kind of empower this situation as a, you know, as a white middle-aged bloke in that meeting yeah. saying, it is five o'clock, I have to go and pick up my daughter yeah. and closing the meeting down and leaving. That yeah. would be massively, massively empowering. So that's just one of the things. You know, you know, that's been one thing I've been thinking about more you know, since yeah. that incident. Yeah, um, I, I, but it is true. It is true. It's, it's you know, and, um, and and you can imagine, like, for people who don't have partners, you know, respecting that as well is probably even more, even yes. more important about leaving. And I and I do get that. It's, I, I wonder why you felt you couldn't close the meeting yes. down. Yes. I, I bet not one person would have said, no, we're staying on. Or no. you could have said, continue on and feed back yeah. to me in the morning. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a really interesting thing there, isn't there, about the dynamic of the, yeah. of uh, what's acceptable. So I guess then it's about how do you strengthen the relationships within teams, you know, with, um, with um, males and females? Because I often hear back from colleagues, oh, I, I find it easier to work with men. <laughs> um, or um, they're very much rooted in the female camp. So how, how can we bring that you know strength and relationships within teams oh that's an interesting question Kira. Mm. um i think a lot of this is about uh community it comes back to the point made right at the beginning really which is a lot of this is about communication and understanding mm. and kind of understanding different people's perspectives and coming back to your point which is this is about being human if you mm. kind of point that out to people in a very kind of overt way really which is you know, well, of course they can't go and uh, 
you know, work till seven tonight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because of X, Y, and Z. And so we talk about those pressures outside of work as well as what's going on in work and how we might manage things collectively. You know, in the most successful teams that I've worked in, it's always been, you know, you've had those elements. It's never yeah. been about just work and, you know, life is something completely different. It's about understanding the holistic position that a per- that both the team and the individuals within the team find themselves in. And uh, and by doing that, I think you build trust, you build respect, and you build a kind of um, willingness to, you know, cover each other's backs. And I think that that's really, really important with all of this. Uh. And then you just feel empowered. You go in as a team, don't you? And that's that just making sure that um, in meetings, especially on teams, people, the you know, the introverts become almost even more introverted. Mm. Um, and the extroverts don't know how to cope because they need to talk <laughs> a lot like myself. So it's really important as well, I guess, in making sure you you hear the all voices, that human thing, but the female voices. And interestingly, I um, pulled a group together the other week and um, on Zoom. And at the end of it, I, I was just listening. My role was just to listen and observe. I wasn't even on the screen. And when I collected the data at the end, I hadn't even noticed, but all the men spoke and the women didn't. So there's there, I, that was throwing up things for me as well last week. But it's just that it's really difficult at this time of the pandemic, isn't it, to make sure that we check in. And you miss that five-minute chatter before a meeting as well. You know, when you would all come into a room together, you'd have that check, what did you do? While teams, it just feels like meeting after meeting after meeting, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so you raised um, diversity earlier, Tim, and I just wanted to probe that a little bit more um just how can we do, how can we hire with diversity in mind and bearing in mind that you're in finance um it's it's still i think predominantly quite male you might tell me it's not but um well, well, what's happening in the world of finance in the nhs well we've we've got a real problem in finance because um i think if you look at uh, the, the totality of the uh, the finance function, I think it is a uh, majority female. But then if you look at CFOs, yeah. I think it's less than 30% uh, are women. And in the east of England in particular, it's 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 even worse than that. It's kind of around the 20% mark. Yeah. Um, so we've got a, a real problem with this, uh, with this point about, you know, what is... They, they, that, you know, that you, you can't look at those um, statistics and kind of argue that there isn't some kind of structural problem, yeah. um, you know. And, um, you know, if I overlay that with kind of um, black and ethnic minority data, it just the story just gets worse and worse. You, you, you come back to um, understanding the different points in the kind of progression pathway and starting to kind of, understand what's blocking people at those uh, different areas and um, some of the themes we've already discussed about um, you know flexible working a, pe- a perception often about the kind of you know trade-off that has to take place as you go higher up in relation to uh, family versus work which by the way I don't think is entirely true yeah. um, you know and also I really wouldn't underestimate the impact of a lack of diversity in in, in interview panels on what that can do to yeah. uh, interview candidates and um, you know their ability to perform 
in uh, in an interview uh, situation. So, you know, some of the things that I've openly um, committed to, which um, I said, you know, I've, I've said before, is um, you know, I won't sit on an interview panel now unless there's, um, you know, I won't sit on an all-white male interview panel. Uh, there has to be uh, a woman and there has to be someone from a black and ethnic minority background. Right. Um, and I think th- those kind of things are going to be the steps that are important. You know, I've said with my team and teams prior to this that it, it's that mindset about um, not why can't I do this job? It's got to be, well, what what job, what parts of the job can you do yeah. in your, you know, that fit around your life? Yeah. And how can we help redesign things to uh, to make that happen? Um, and I think that that's, you know, that, that that's going to be the only way we kind of get through some of this stuff. Yeah. If everyone took on that mindset of insisting that they were the panels and um, and actually I I find myself in all female panels um so we we do need to mix it up on both sides I think don't we and and it, it's back to that being human and recognizing the individuals who are coming to apply for roles um going forward um so Tim I'm on my last question and it's it's not one of these killer questions <laughs> but maybe it is um so I've just we haven't really talked about the older female leader and um, we've talked generally about um male allies so my question to you is um what does female leadership at 50 look like or mean to you for me, it's it's about um, it's it's coming into that same kind of diversity of thinking category. A woman who's um, over fifty has, you know, has worked uh, in the NHS or across different sectors, and they bring a perspective and level of experience, and often calm heads um, that uh, that you know bring value to the teams, bring value to teams, and um, that you know they've gone through life ex some experiences during that time which 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 uh, are really really valuable for organizations as we look to the future to learn from to understand and to uh, you know shape appropriately to make sure that um again coming back to where we really started all this the yeah. talent that is developing um gets the the easiest route to fulfill its uh, its full self its full talent um as quickly as possible so you know that's the kind of uh angle i think i'd i'd have um and you know i've worked with women of all ages during (laughs) my career and um and men of all ages and different skin colors of all ages and (laughs) particularly in senior positions you know the amount of learning experience knowledge capability compassion across those things uh, across those age groups and uh, and uh, sexes and skin tones are what make people stand out not not their you know make people stand out and be effective uh, not their not the actual box itself if you see what I mean um, and so that's that's what uh, that's what women at 50 can bring so. oh, that's wonderful thank you Tim so that's the end of our Uh, discussion thank you so much for joining me thank you for listening 
For further inspiration, join us on social media at Female Leaders at 50. Stay curious, network and share. Hi, I'm Kira Moore, founder of Female Leaders at 50. Welcome to my podcast series, Female Leadership at 50, The Silent Revolution, where we talk about the highs and lows of leadership and what it means to us. Join us as we stay curious, network and share. Hi, Mandy. Welcome to our Female Leaders of 50 podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and you're going to be talking to us about creativity and manifesting your dreams. Would you like to give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yes, I would love to. I am a creative genius consultant, artist and author. And I help creative women to launch um, and grow their businesses and learn to become entrepreneurs. Um, I've made it my mission to step into that creative space and and fill the gap between um, your zone of genius and and being an entrepreneur because there is a gap there um, I went off to art college when I was 18 got my degree but ended up working in retail as a leader oh. for um, like 25 years as a senior leader wow. um, but it was my creativity that set me apart in that space yeah and I uh, ended up after a series of unfortunate events 11 years ago um, I lost everything and I had to rebuild my life and I still didn't step back into my creativity um, mm. but I did in 2019 I launched my creative business thanks to to a loving push by my late husband um, and it's been very successful so I'm working in my zone of genius and, and thoroughly enjoying every day right now. That's amazing now you've used the term zone of genius yes quite a few times what does that mean? I think it's a very difficult place to get to it's we stay away from that zone of genius by staying in our comfort zones and what's working for us and what's comfortable for us and what society expects us to do um, but when you actually let all that go and you step into that zone where you are performing at your highest level doing what you truly love I ask myself what is it that I really love doing and I'd not been doing it for decades. Um, yeah. But now I'm doing it and I'm in that zone of genius. That's amazing. It doesn't feel like work. Yeah, yeah, yeah I absolutely get that. And then, and just thinking about creativity, because what we have found with the female leaders of 50, um, you know, in, in the first podcast, we talk about how 50 is quite a pivotal role for a lot mm -hmm. of women. They're, they're, sometimes they're in that sandwich generation between being carer for kids and carer for um, family, you know, older mm -hmm. members of family. Uh, they may be, you know, children may have left the nest. So there's that gap kind of what to do. Yeah. Um, so why, why do you think women tend to lose that creativity? You know, you mentioned that it set you apart at work, but like, yeah. but you actually weren't probably really doing what, yeah, what you need to do. So why do you think that happens with women? And then how can they find it again? Or how can they keep it? I think we as women, in general, we compromise, don't we? We we fit into what's expected of us, even though we're strong women these days, more strong possibly than previous generations. Yeah, there's still expectations of us. And we do tend to slot into the feminine of caregiver, yeah. um, compromiser, uh, family cementer you know we do things for others and therefore we neglect ourselves 
and what we truly want. And our dreams are set to the side or put to the back and we become the bottom of the priority list. Not always in self-care and looking after ourselves, but truly following our dreams and what things light us up and that we really want to do. Yeah, yeah. And like, how can we ensure that or, or what what could women do to kind of keep that creativity, you know, keep their creative soul? That that kind of probably initially um, draws people to you anyway. You know, when you're younger and you're so yes. passionate about things, yeah. and then to keep that passion in yourself and keep that bit of yourself. Um, we've I've I've read a lot about you know through our blogs as well that a lot of the women kind of lost themselves for a bit and then found themselves. So how how can we help those coming behind us not to lose that? I never completely lost my creativity, but it mm. sat in the background, and it's about how do I bring it into my life as part of what I do. Yeah. And the more I started to do that and step back into it, I realised I still could do it. Because we, when you don't do something for a long time, and creativity comes in many shapes and forms, doesn't it? From yeah. you know, from writing, we are naturally creative as women. Yeah. We are able to do many, many things at once, and we are naturally creative. So it's about how can you make time for that, and even if it's a small amount of time in your life, in your daily routine, to bring your creativity to the front. You don't even have to share it, but yeah. do it. Because when you do it, you build the confidence, don't you, that you can and you yeah. still can. Yeah. So if your creativity is writing, write every day. If, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> write something yeah. every day. Yeah. If your creativity is painting or drawing, then sketch every day or, you know, do a little watercolour doodle every day, but do something. We don't give ourselves the permission to do mm-hmm. that, though, do we? You know, so I've always said, I've got a book in me. I'm definitely going to write a book. still not written. But like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and yes, I know. I, I've said to people, just take half an hour a day. And I'm not even giving myself permission to do that. So I guess it's that getting past that, isn't it? And giving yourself the permission to do permission. it, just, just doing it. And even if it's just writing one sentence in yep. the 20 minutes that you set yourself aside, just do it because it's one more sentence than you had the day before, I guess, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I speak about that all the time, how to do get you? started writing that book. And it starts with a sentence. <laughs> yeah. It starts, every, every book starts with a sentence, doesn't it? Does. It? it sure does. It yeah. sure does. And um, another thing that you talk about a lot, Mandy, on, on your podcast and, in, and in, your, in your blog with us as well that you did, um, you talk about manifesting your dreams. Yeah. So talk, what, what does that mean? Because there's, um, there's a lot out about living with intent and all of that. What, what does manifesting your dreams mean? Okay, this is really important to me. I've been doing this, I've been doing it unconsciously most of my life. I've been doing it consciously for probably the last 15 years. So at the point where I lost everything and in losing everything, I realized I had everything that I needed and I just had to rethink what I wanted out of life. So I, I took manifesting seriously in that I trusted myself and trusted that I could create everything that I wanted in my life. So at rock bottom, I had nothing. I had £30 in my bank account and I was living in social housing. And, and 10 years later, I bought my brand new dream home, half a million pound dream home for cash. People don't wow. know that I did that, but I did. Wow, yeah. Because I believed that I could. And yeah. in believing that I could, 
And in seeing it visually and talking about it all the time and telling everybody this is what I was doing and where I was going, I had to do that for 10 years. Didn't happen overnight. What happened was my brain came up with the pathway and it came up with the solutions and it came up with, because I believed it genuinely. So I did that. And then my Mm. next goal became, I want a a castle in Scotland where I can run creative (laughs) retreats for people from all around the world. And that's been on my vision board for the last two years. Yeah. Um, and this year, the I lost my husband last year. He died in April last year, uh, which sorry. was so. It's been a tough year for me. Yeah, yeah. But still, underneath it, I had this big vision of this castle because I knew I then had the rest of my life on my own, and I, I couldn't have an empty life. I needed yeah. a full life. So the belief of this castle stayed with me, and it kept me going. Um, and it, in March this year, I thought, you know what? I want a castle in Scotland. Let's just put myself there. I'll sell this house. Yeah. You know, I've got all this equity in this house. Let's sell this house and move to Scotland and see what happens. And yeah. Then I'll manifest the castle from there. Okay. Um, so what the universe did was dropped this house in front of me that was a wild card. <laughs> yes. And it looks just like a mini version of the castle that's on my vision board. My word. It's That's actually, amazing. when you see the visuals, it's actually quite breathtaking, wow. the, the similarities between the two. And it's almost like the universe said, there you go, there's your practice run. Yeah. Do this. It needs renovating. Yeah. Um, do this. Here's your blank ca- canvas. Renovate this. Run your retreats on a smaller scale. Get it right and create the money for your castle, Mandy. So I'm listening to what yeah. the universe says I'm I'm seeing what's put in front of me and I'm taking action so manifestation for me is about knowing what you want but being yeah. open to what's put in front of you yeah and yeah. taking action on it a live manifestation for me at the minute I'm sharing it through social media so people can understand how to do it are there any you know simple steps that that our female leaders could take because what I've also found through reading and hearing and listening to mm-hmm. our female leaders is that it is a highly creative time apparently at your 20s and your 50s are your mm-hmm. most creative time and um and it, it is that bit where women maybe are you know you're starting off in life so you're really creative and then maybe 50 the children are grown up yeah. or you're want to change in career and these amazing women are flipping, pivoting their careers completely around back to maybe what their passion was originally. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, so what do you think would be the steps for anyone thinking about manifestation for the first time um, and how they can, you know, grow and, and change and live their dreams? I think, that, I mean, there's so many methods you can use. For me, because I'm creative and because I'm visual, and I think that's important, understand what sense that you work with in the boat. Are you visual? Are you auditory? You know, yeah. is listening to things going to help you? Is creating visuals going to help, help you? For me, I created my vision board. I think, and I didn't put a castle on there. I put the castle on there <laughs> that I wanted. Um, so behind that, then I've got affirmations that work with that. So there's the auditory. I'm saying affirmations out loud. I've got a clear vision board, but I've taken action steps so I registered with the estate agent that's selling the particular castle. Wow. So, and they notify me if any castles come up in Scotland and I know how much they are. Yeah. I then mind mapped how I can get my business from where it is now to where I need it to be in order to have the money to buy that castle. Yeah. 
And then it's about looking, listening and using your senses. People don't notice what's put in front of them. But if you've got a clear vision, if you've got clear affirmations in place to help you manifest and they do work. They work because they reprogram your, your brain and you've got a clear action plan. steps that you can take very clear so like registering with the estate agents knowing how much the castle is it's three million pound for breaking castle the one that i want i don't have three million pounds so i asked myself the question yeah how can i earn three million pounds how long will it take me to do that what can i do to do it and then you start moving towards the income streams that can help you create that big goal and i think the biggest advice is think really big what's yeah. the thing you'd really truly love to do if you want to be a number one best-selling author first of all you've got to write a book correct yeah <laughs> she says so, yeah. having written nothing <laughs> yeah. yes. but you can't go from zero <laughs> to being a number one best-selling author without doing something can you you've got to take the action steps so it's about having the vision and you you know you're allowed to have number one best-selling author on your vision board or on your action plans you can't go from a to z you've got to go from a to b to c to yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't happen overnight, does yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and it does take self-belief and, yep. and a lot of that believing. It, yes. yeah. yeah, that's so, amazing. And do the current owners of that castle know you, that you're after that castle? <laughs> no, not yet. Um, and it's still on the market. And I know, oh, wow. you know, it's 70 acres of land with it. It's huge. Amazing. But, and it's way out of my reach right now. But yeah. it might not be in two or three years' time. So Yeah, I have every yeah. belief you'll get there. Absolutely <laughs> every belief you'll get there. So part of Female Leaders of 50 was... Um, um, that the reason I set it up was that I got to a board level position and I thought, yeah, yeah I've made it. And then I was looking around for women like me who, mm-hmm. who you know, had done the same. And I, actually, I was looking for the older, older yes. woman, you know, someone who was five, ten years into their board journey. Yeah. Um, I was 49 at the time. And, and I found, I couldn't find them. I couldn't find many anyway. Yes. And, um, and so that, for me, raised a whole question about what is happening to women at 50, 60, 70? Because I'm always inspired by women, inspired yes. by the women I grew up with um, and women who I met through work and men as well. But I was looking mm-hmm. for those, you know, those women ahead of me. And so creatively, do, do you, what happens to women kind of in their 50s, 60s, 70s creatively? For me, it's about being a beacon and being open to inviting those people in some yeah they're very introverted a lot of these women because they've been they've been capping their creativity but when they start to step into it I've got a couple of women on my signature program in their 60s and they are absolutely blossoming um and because they've found someone to work with that gets them and I think for me you've got to reach out try and find them wherever they're hiding and they'll be in many different places and be open to inviting them into your world in in a really organic and natural way they're they're entrapped by fear um and, and and unfortunately, that's been decades and decades of it. And when you take the fear away and when you untap them, they're hugely creative and not frightened of trying things. Yeah. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Those are the women I want to work with. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. It resonates so much with me because yeah. when, when I was finding them, I say, oh, could you do a blog for my, you know, leadership? You know, I think telling your story is really yeah. important. And they go, but I'm not a leader. You know, and you probably get them saying, but I'm not creative. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just that building up. We've got to like help grow and share these amazing stories and this amazing creativity that women have. It's it's um, so important, isn't it? That that voice isn't lost. That we, you know, I I have a daughter. You know, I want to inspire yeah. her. She finds me over competitive, too ambitious, and she's <laughs> she has this classic eye roll that she just goes, oh, you know, ambitious. You know, competitive people just leave me cold, mom. You know, she's she's, she's lived with me for so long, but she's. Yeah ambitious and competitive in her own way yeah. but I'm hoping I can pave the way for her to say you know you can stand up strong but it's that I'm still seeking those older women out as well almost the yeah Kira you are doing the right thing you are yes, still going the right way keep going because it's mm-hmm. really important to have cheerleaders isn't it even yes. at 50 or 60 or 70 you still need people to believe in you and um and still need people to be able to say you are creative and that's that feels like what you're doing with your amazing dream it is and you know I do want to say most creative women make great leaders even if they don't know it's there because of their ability to see there's a natural talent for a leader and I'm very lucky because I was a senior executive in retail so I've had both sides of the coin I can see the power of the creativity in the role of the leader and once you tell women that and you can help them see it in themselves they see themselves in a completely different way that's really it's empowering yeah that's that's good and so I'm just going to finish off for the final question that I've I've shared with all our podcasting what what does the female leader at 50 look like to you Mandy? She looks confident in her own skin and able to share her brilliance and her knowledge with so many people Um, and that for me is life-changing because when you impart that knowledge on someone you don't just change them for a moment you change their lives forever. Thank you so much for sharing your story today and your vision. You're so generous. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. For further inspiration, join us on social media at Female Leaders at 50. Stay curious, network and share.